Welcome back to the Rab Mountain People podcast with me, your host, Andy Cave. Here's a sample of what's ahead. Climbing Life Kenya, how that came to be is after I got started in rock climbing, I became increasingly aware that we didn't have as many Kenyans taking up the sport and I wanted to share it with other people. We're all here because we love climbing, but I think we're also here because we want to help people to see a healthier future for themselves. Their focus there was about the community, and that's something I, I myself am trying to bring back into our climbing culture. In this series, we focus on In Your Element, and it's true to say that we have some remarkable adventure stories. The drive and spirit of adventure has taken these individuals on exciting journeys. They share tales of cycling across Iceland, the Himalayas, and cycling around the world solo. There are impressive climbing and mountaineering adventures too. For many, it's about realising ambitious goals. And I get to ask, what helped them along the way? And when things changed, how did they respond? And what's their advice to others planning their own adventures? For some of the people I chat with, the outdoors is not just a crucible where they push themselves but also a place to reconnect with nature as they search for a simpler life. Often their stories concern adapting to new circumstances, be it motherhood, trauma or loss. This series is about people fitting in and overcoming challenges, both on and off the mountain. For many, there's a strong desire to inspire and help others and a celebration of community and friendship. Get yourself a drink. Sit back and enjoy. Kenyan climber Liz Nadindi was motivated by wanting to make the journey into climbing smoother for fellow Kenyans, helping people understand what climbing is and what it could be, providing the information, guidance, and also the equipment. Danny Dobrot is one of the founders of the Global Climbing Initiative that aims to connect emerging climbing communities to the skills, gear, and funds they need to grow safely inclusively and sustainably. RAB supported a project whereby Colorado-based RAB athlete Marcus Garcia traveled to Kenya to work with Liz and the local Kenyans. Marcus shares his experience of being in Kenya, mentoring local people, new to climbing. He shares what it taught him about the empowerment and learning to live in the moment. Marcus has a deep personal connection with mentorship and is passionate about the spirit of helping others in climbing communities. As he explains, mentoring is emotionally draining, but the reward and the empowerment outweigh the fatigue I sometimes feel. This is a unique insight into how collaboration and mentorship can be life-changing for so many people. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Uh, Danny, Liz and uh, Marcus um, from different parts uh, of, of the globe. I wanted to start, Danny, with yourself, just like where did the idea come from? How did the Global Climbing Initiative start? What was the thinking? Was it like a moment or was it something you'd been thinking about for quite a long time? Yeah, absolutely. So the Global Climbing Initiative came about actually as kind of a conglomeration of the four of us founders. Um, so the title was actually initially developed by Veronica Baker, who is our executive director, while she was at Yale getting her master's degree. 
um, she was actually studying the history of climbing. And so as she was studying the history of climbing, she would visit different climbing locations around the world and create these case studies on those regions. Um, and she was really motivated to understand how the history of climbing was influencing where climbing is going into the future. And so she started, uh, our original title had been the Climbing Initiative, um, but as we've grown and our mission has become more clear, we switched to the Global Climbing Initiative because we mostly work with communities um, outside the U.S., uh, even though we are based in the U.S. And so she kind of came up with the title. And then myself and um, Scott Pagel and then Ludovine came together and we kind of each added our own piece to what is now the Global Climate Initiative. So my background is in global health, uh, humanitarian aid, um, and international development. And so adding those pieces of what does it mean to work and partner with local communities in ways that kind of remove power dynamics and sort of Western colonialism as those have influenced often a lot of humanitarian aid and development projects in the past. Um, and kind of bringing that perspective and philosophy and ethos to the work that we do. So I run most of our impact projects. And then Scott Pagel is a very experienced climber, extremely skilled, um, has had experience going to Malawi, uh, helping with develop the Malawian climbing community there, and is really passionate about how do we get gear and the resources, the like, the the bolts, the drills, the harnesses, the ropes, like how do we get all of this gear to communities where there is no current uh, seller on the market, um, getting that gear to them. And so that brought in this gear distribution component. And then Ludovine's our researcher. Um, and so she really helps to hold us accountable for really strong um, researching, um, monitoring and evaluation. And so we kind of all come together to make what we are. So the mission of the Global Climbing Initiative is um, to equip climbing communities around the world with the knowledge and resources to thrive. And ultimately this mission leads to our vision, which is that we believe we can have a more just and sustainable world through rock climbing. Um, and so that's kind of the work that we do in a nutshell. And that work has led us to communities like Climbing Life Kenya. Thank you. and. Are the projects that you get involved in, obviously they're in different parts of the world, are they quite different in nature? Are they trying to do different things? Could you give us, I don't know, maybe a couple of examples before we move on to the Kenyan one? Yeah, so our projects are different. They're basically determined by a community's needs um, and what skills we have on the team and capacity to meet those needs. Um, so all of our partnerships with communities are directed by the communities themselves. So for instance, Climbing Life Kenya came to us about two years ago asking for some help with honing their mission, their vision, their values, um, and creating some organizational protocols. And so that's sort of where we started working with them was just in this advising capacity. Um, we also, like I said, do gear distribution. So for communities that just have gear needs, we will work with brands or gyms to acquire uh, new or barely used gear uh, to get to those communities. We do community grants. So this year we launched a community grants project supporting social impact grants or environmental impact grants. So communities that want to support their local, um, a great example is uh, in India, they want to support local honey har harvesters with some climbing knowledge uh, to help that to be more successful and safer. So we're working with them on that or a community in um, uh, the Philippines is looking at how do they 
help with the degradation from belay stations or from the belay area. And so they're creating belay stations. Um, so it's kind of dependent on what the community's needs are. Um, and then we have the Climbing Leadership Fund, which is where we bring active training uh, mentors like Marcus uh, to a community to meet their direct needs on the ground. Great. And you, so your background is in aid. Were you also a nurse by training as well? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So both of those things, it's it's kind of, there's a lot of care there, isn't there? So it yeah. seems like a good fit from <laughs> yes, your point definitely. of view. And yeah. do you still have a day job? Is I do this... still have, yes, I do still have a day job. Yeah. So this is just um, so... something that you do like in your spare time or... Yeah, it's not really spare time anymore, but it is something I do on the side. Yeah, so I'm currently in graduate school getting my doctorate in nursing, actually. Um, and then I also work as a nurse part time. And do you get to visit some of the countries and the projects and meet people as well? Yeah, so I've been to Kenya twice now. So Liz and I, best buddies. Uh, so I went there last year with Amos for gear distribution. And then this year with Marcus and our other instructor, Rainbow. Uh, Weinstock for this training, uh, volunteer training and SPI training. Fantastic. Liz, um, so Climbing Life Kenya, um, is was that your brainchild? Did you come up with that or how did it come about? What's, tell us a little bit about the history of that. Yeah, um, I did come up with uh, Climbing Life Kenya and how that came to be is after I got started in rock climbing, I became increasingly aware that we didn't have as many Kenyans taking up the sport. I'd grown to love it and I wanted to share it with other people. And at the time, the, the thing I would, that was within my reach to be able to do this was to create visibility around what I was doing. Um, the idea then came to to have a, so, a social media page where I would share my rock climbing experiences uh, with others as I as I partook in the activity, with the hope that it will it will build some curiosity into what is what is this activity, how can I get involved in it? Uh, is it, it is available in Kenya? Just creating that visibility was the first step, and from then on it grew um, organically um, in the in the sense that um, got getting other people involved and wanting to be part of this sport um, has led climbing life kenya to to where it is right now so yeah that's how it, it came to be fantastic and how many people would you say are associated with the or how many people have been helped into rock climbing through climbing life Kenya. Just a rough number. Wow, um, we have—I don't know—it's it, very hard to pin a number to it because our approach is beyond goes beyond rock climbing as a sport. But I would say above a hundred or more individuals wow. who have directly been impacted by our work. And I think just being timid about it, um, but the way in which we approach our activities is we hope, our hope is to have a far more reaching um, impact beyond the sport itself. And what are the barriers um, 
for local people in Kenya to get into rock climbing? I mean, I'm, I'm imagining like economic proximity to, I've only climbed, I'm trying to think where I've climbed in Kenya, but other than Mount Kenya, I think it was the Hell's Gate Gorge or something. That's quite a trek. I, I'm just trying to think, is there climbing quite close? For example, to Nairobi is, or is it, is it a barrier for people to actually get there or? Well, the, when you think about barriers, I think I would sum it up in one word, being access. So we're talking about access to information, access to knowledge, access to location, access to uh, opportunities, claiming opportunities, training opportunities around climbing, and of course, access to um, gear and equipment that we need to be able to partake in these activities. So in in this sense, you could have a community living right next to the rock, but not recognizing it as a potentially um, recreational or economic activity they could partake in. So you see, they're, they're in the, they have access to the rock, but they don't have access to the knowledge of the, of, uh, of the sport or knowledge of how to go about it in a safe way. So I think when you think about barriers, it, right, it comes down to just the different dynamics an individual may be dealing with based on where they're at in terms of their uh, background. And what about your own personal journey to climbing? How did that come about? Wow. Oh. Was it like you saw a climber, thought that looks cool? Or was it, I mean, what? how did it, or something you saw online or... I don't like, know. I can't imagine if, <laughs> yeah, not so many role models. Well, climbing for me feels like, when I think about it, is when you have this close friend and you can't quite figure out how you came to be where you are, sort of your paths just crossed at the right time, at the right place, and the circumstances just led you there. So for me, um, I was at a point where I think, I'm a mom and I'd just uh, gotten into this routine of home and work and, and I felt pretty, um, well, inactive in the sense of not having a recreational physical activity and not being a very gym person in the traditional sense of what a gym is. Um, I came across climbing and it represented for me the a very unique combination of, of, of the physicality of it, which I loved. And what drew me in is the mental aspect of climbing, which I really resonated with. So my, my getting into climbing was very fluid in the sense that it rhymed with my personality. That's how I'd put it. Um, and as, as I would imagine, maybe happens to many, I, I got a bit, I was drawn into it, maybe hooked, if you may call it like that. Um, I, I, I couldn't find a way, I, I couldn't stop um, wanting to learn more about climbing. And uh, my journey then progressed to wanting to learn more about, about it and uh, climbing more and more. Um, and just to that point where, you know, out of the feeling of my cup, I wanted to share this newfound activity with others. And what has it 
yeah, what does that feel like? So there's that, I guess, there's the personal sense of pride and, and the buzz of climbing, but introducing to other people is to it as well. That's obviously important for you. Otherwise, you wouldn't have set up the organization, I guess. I love it. And I feel like that's what really fuels me in in the work I do uh, through climbing like Kenya. It wasn't... It wasn't uh, very easy to to find people to go out with climbing, and particularly so, you know, as being a new climber. And my experiences, uh, the experiences that formed my uh, my entry into climbing. I I would I wished I found myself wishing that someone else wouldn't have to do go through the same process that I've, I had to go through uh, getting shoes or uh, getting equipment or looking for a climbing partner. How do I get to go to where I need? What information do I need? How do I make it easier for the next person to just find this spot and like um, not have to think too much about it because they have the information and they have the know-how and they have someone who's there who's willing to to give their time and resources to make it better for the next person. So having people experience climbing through Climbing Life Kenya and seeing how they describe their entry into climbing as this very very fluid and unhindered sort of uh, journey because we have sort of even uh, leveled the bumps, uh, uh, if you may, for them to be able to to interact with climbing and do so in a very um, unhindered way that helps them establish themselves in climbing and be able now to be uh, be able to now um, carve out their own journey as far as climbing is concerned. If it's buying equipment, they can now do so, but not out of sort of desperation, but from a point of knowledge. Brilliant, and obviously you must you must be very passionate and have a lot of energy because you you have a family and you have a day job. Remind me what your day job is. Oh, my day job, my day job now. It says climbing. It's um, it's in, ingrained in my my DNA. It's like I I can't. But your background, you you had a like were you like project managing? Is that your? Yes, my my. Uh, my professional background uh, is in uh, quantity survey. I'm a quantity surveyor, um, and I do have a background in construction project management. And yes, I do have a family, and yes, I do climb. And um, they're not uh, mutually exclusive. Um, they are all part of my identity, and uh, none, none hinders the other because I've embraced them. Fantastic. And I guess one of the barriers is, you touched on it, is, is, is knowledge. And, and I guess that's where Marcus and Danny and, and, and the project came about. Um, Marcus, welcome. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You're, you're, uh, you're based in Durango, Colorado in the States, and uh, an accomplished climber. And I know that mentoring is a, is a big thing for you. So tell us a little bit about, yeah, your life and what you're about and then how you got involved in this project. 
Yeah. So yeah, I live in Durango, Colorado, and um, I've kind of moved here to as a climbing guide twenty something years ago, um, and got into climbing in my early teens, probably like around ninety. 192 1991 92 to, to age me <laughs> to give my age and uh kind of was in climbing through kind of through mentorship through friends that got me into climbing and the person who actually got me into climbing is still one of my best friends and then over the years I got into competitive climbing and I learned more about mentorship I, I remember like one of my first competitions I ever did I went in and was in the intermediate level at the age of like 14, 15 and wearing borrowed shoes because I couldn't afford to buy my own shoes, kind of like Liz and went in and climbed all my routes. So then before they bumped me up into the elite category and then put me in isolation, which I had never been in isolation in my life at a climbing competition. And I sat there like with all these people I had read magazine articles about like Hans Florian and Kristen Griffith all these people I looked up to and then I just remember being alone in isolation, listening to my Sony walk, uh, Walkman <laughs> with the CD players. And uh, was it Hans and some other guys that came over and like, Hey, why don't you come join us? And that was like them mentoring me in this competition world that was really new to me. Um, and that kind of like set the, I guess kind of set the tone for what I really like doing to share my passion of climbing throughout the years. And over time I kind of, um, carry that on and did competitions and met a really amazing mentor myself that mentored me from age of 15 to about 35 and then he had passed away in a climbing accident and I kind of wanted to carry on his legacy of him mentoring me so I unknowingly kind of became a mentor to others and what's been pretty amazing is that mentorship is is a way you really learn more about yourself and that's kind of what I kind of bring more of an empathetic, um, compassionate side of teaching climbing. And that's kind of where I am now. And that's how I got involved in this project with Climbing La Kenya. And the GCI is what I do, not really knowing that's what I do. I just do it because it comes from a more of a passion mindset, not so much from an ego mindset. It's just because I just show up and that's what I want to do. And if this wasn't involved, I'm still going to do it. Uh, but I just happened to be really good at it <laughs> and didn't really know it's just because it's inside my head and not on paper. So it's kind of interesting learning how to document kind of what I do and like kind of re-identifying myself, I don't know, on a daily basis. Um, and that has brought me here. And I've been a climbing gym owner where I worked with kids for many years. And a lot of those kids now that I work with um, are now in their mid 20s or early 20s and they actually kind of work alongside them and i'm teaching them how to teach clinics and how to teach climbing some of them have become climbing coaches some of them have even become uh, climbing instructors the amga uh, which is pretty pretty amazing that climbing impacted them that way and so i think that's kind of like this big four circle of mentorship um, and that's kind of where i am these days now thanks so. and yeah i mean just at a sort of like macro level, such a different kind of mindset from being, I guess, you know, to be a comp climber, being quite mm -hmm. focused, quite selfish in a way, isn't it? That kind of life where you, it's about, yeah. it's about performance and getting the very mm -hmm. best out of yourself and not everybody, not every climber can um, move to being a mentor. I think it's interesting, isn't it? Some people, I know people who say, 
I could never be a mentor or guide because I'm too selfish. So it's it's obviously something within you and memories of like yeah. the people that mentored you that you that, that has allowed you. Um, yeah, so you obviously have something that, uh, and as you say, a skill for it. So that's that's interesting. Uh, yeah, it's but, quite interesting that oh, like like the mentor mentee relationship. That's that's kind of a beautiful relationship because even though we're still mentoring, we also are are the mentees as well. And that's something I've kind of been like really kind of focusing on. And and right now I'm getting ready to do a talk this Friday about mentorship and this project and kind of going through my notes and just finding like the whole time I was actually mentoring there, I was learning a lot more about myself as well. So it's quite interesting. Um, it's just a happy balance of the two. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, sort of a lot of reflection and presumably having like a, a learner mindset, which is that buzzword that's out there that you're always, and I guess every time you mentor somebody, um, you, you, there's learnings all the time, isn't there? From all the different individuals, yeah. different cultures. Um, tell us a little bit about, um, well, all of you in no particular order. So the, 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 the climbing live Kenya, I've seen some of the, the wonderful clips of, of the, the, the filming out there and it looked, uh, I, I don't actually know where it was in Kenya, where were you climbing and, Tell us a little bit about that. What what was the maybe Marcus can kick us off and then we'll come back mm. to Liz. What yeah, was yeah. was it was it very new to you? Had you been to Kenya before or was this just like a first time you just sort of dropped in there? Yeah. That was my first time to be kind of thrown in there. The furthest I've been as far as like um, France and Italy and Spain, but as the first time to go that to that side of the world and see a different different dynamic of uh, culture and how people just differently and then go into these climbing locations like Liz was saying like the kind of the barriers you know was like just getting in the bus and getting shuttled out to these areas where we kind of take for granted I get in my car and drive five minutes and I'm climbing you know and I get upset because I have to drive 10 minutes sometimes <laughs> you know and it gives you that whole perspective like oh I am pretty lucky here um, you know, and it take a little bit more appreciation of like when we got in and what we worked with the volunteers and took them to this place called Hell's Gate, I think is the first location we went to. And then we visited Lukenia and it's kind of seen a different diversity of the type of climbing. And, you know, to me, that just really what stood out the most was their passion for it. Their passion because it takes a lot of determination and to get out there. <laughs> so and dealing with the Nairobi traffic, which was a. Uh, I was terrified <laughs> myself and I'm, I'm not usually scared. But like, I was like, Oh man, I would never want to drive here. So it gives you a whole different perspective uh, of the amazing opportunities they have and what they do to make it happen. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the energy and the passion. And Liz, you must've been delighted to have somebody like Marcus come over uh, to, to your, to your country and i just wondered what was the main thing you were hoping to get from marcus was it like a bit of everything was it the safety was it the knowledge kind of the approach what were the best bits um the best bits i would say actually were beyond the climbing aspect of it um because beyond the knowledge the the technical um, skills uh, around climbing we were very keen to to build on uh, build on what we we were working on in terms of growing our community and 
what we were looking for um, in a trainer as as we were having this um, as we we're having these plans are, are for the project was someone who would be able to address yes the the technical aspects of climbing but also what you may call maybe the softer aspects the the softer skills around climbing so how do you interact with um, the people who are under your care particularly so because we work with young people and we wanted to um, to uplift the people we work with mainly our volunteers in the skills that are needed to be um, more emotionally connected more empathetic more aware of of the humanity within rock climbing um, because ultimately climbing is your sport yes but it's about people and you should um, consider people first even as you share the this sport that we love um, so that was our main focus um, obviously now when it came to the to the actual training we we were we were fortunate to have now have found in Marcus someone who brought in um, that aspect and also had a very deep world of uh, knowledge around rock climbing. So ultimately, um, we were it was well matched to what we we were looking for. Brilliant. Yeah, just going right back to the beginning when Danny was talking about. Um, your your friend colleague who studied the history of climbing at Yale, and I'm just thinking here we have a you have a almost like it's a new beginning. So in a way, the cultural and the values it's you guys are setting the tone in a way because it's almost like it's a you know whereas normally if I start climbing, I go to a cliff. There's already this world of climbing that I go and join and how you do things and all that sort of thing. Um, whereas here you almost were taking care. And thinking about, you know, keeping that humanity in focus, and um, I guess every every individual can be competitive, but sort of maybe tempering that and making it a supportive place. Marcus, is that way? How did you, when you arrived, uh, as well as the energy and the drive, what other feelings did you get from 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 the group? Oh, I, for me, it's definitely a sense of what really comes to my mind is. Um, unity and i i go into like community is what is unity and that's kind of what i really i felt very welcome um i felt very at ease and and like we were unified as a group and i think that was pretty amazing how this whole project worked out is that we were all pretty well connected um both on a physical and emotional level um and communication was just really um amazing and i think that's what kind of make made this really stood out for me was that community is unity and i think a lot of that is being lost in our climbing culture and it's just amazing their focus there was about the community um and that's something i i myself am trying to bring back into our climbing culture especially in the u.s i've seen a huge big gap in the mentorship and unity and community in it and i'm trying to close that gap what do you think um it's probably a big question, but why do you think it has changed? What are the impacts, say, in the States? 
that you know like what's been lost is it? yeah well for me it's um mostly because of the uh, how the sport has exploded with the climbing gym industries um where they're putting out um, mountain climbers which you know we all kind of know climbing can be a selfish sport and you kind of see that in the climbing culture and i use this kind of interesting use this um perspective as like when i started climbing especially going to gyms they were like we use pea gravel flooring that was like the padding and then they went to this rubber type base so when we use pea gravel the spot the spotting was very connected so we still had that community that unity uh, with the spot and then we moved into rubber and teva it was a little bit softer to fall well, you can kind of, then you would probably lose a spotter. You didn't need as many spotters. So then separation started growing. And then as the gym started growing, the padding started getting thicker. And then we kind of lost that other spotters and we became our own persons. And then with headphones, what Bluetooth kind of really disconnected us from the community. So now there's this, this climber all by themselves in the gyms who are just there for themselves. And that's kind of where I think the gap has gotten to. Um, so yeah, that's my perspective and that's why I feel, especially, I don't know so much in other countries cause I've climbed in Italy at some of the gyms and a couple other places and there is kind of the same thing. Um, but I mostly see it in the U S there's a huge gap and the community of climbing centered around the climbing gym boom. So sort of say, so, yeah, I like yeah. that. I like that, that, that sort of uh, progression through, because I started bouldering pre-pads and it was very much like you needed a team to, to catch. Yeah. Them. I'm, right. sure I've, <laughs> I'm sure I've had my, uh, my life saved quite a few times. And now sometimes you go out with loads of pads and people are not even watching. They're just stud or in the yeah, background. They're standing. But, yeah. yeah. And then you see these videos on social media, people taking these big falls, but there's like one person spotting. One, you know, one. it's like, one quote you, 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 I saw something you wrote about your time in Kenya was you said, um, I was blown away by their openness and hunger mm-hmm. for more knowledge. Yeah. Was that a key thing? So they obviously just the passion and, and yeah, trying to, how long yeah. were you there? For, and how long were you there for actually? So tell us a bit about that and how um, long are you actually there for? Yeah. We were there for 10, 12 days, typically two weeks. Um, so, um, but you know, my time was really working with the volunteers and then working with some of the FPI, um, people. But what I recognized this very first day was this, this openness and this eagerness to want to learn. But also like for me, my perspective is I needed to understand where they were on a level, but they were all different, diverse skill sets. And then my job was to unify that, bring unity in, into the volunteers and by listening. And I think that's kind of a hard thing is like you have to go into the perspective very open-minded and then they for themselves were very open-minded to wanting to learn um, and not give them too much. But in a way, I kind of gave them a lot, but have the time to process through it. I think that was the thing is that I had to understand each person's level and how they took in information to be able to have help them digest what we're teaching and what, what they want to learn and where they're going to take it. Um, so I think that was what was the eagerness to want to learn more. Their thirst for knowledge was just amazing to me. Um, and they did. They they wanted to learn it. They applied it. And they're still wanting to learn. I still get a few of them reaching out to me wanting more information. And so that's they're still wanting it. So they still have this continued resources of knowledge to them. Now that barrier has been broken down that they have access to this knowledge. 
and they feel safe to be able to reach out. I'd love to interject too, because we keep talking about like the openness of uh, Climbing Life Kenya's volunteer community. Um, and I would love to center that in the work that Liz and Niemzi have done, um, kind of prepping and developing that community. So to kind of put the climbing scene of Kenya in context, climbing has been around in Kenya. And Liz, I don't know the actual dates, so you'll have to kind of fill in some blanks here. But for some time, it's not new. But it hasn't been, as we talk about access, it hasn't been very accessible to indigenous black Kenyans. And so I think making that accessibility and then making a space where everyone feels welcome, I think, has been a huge passion of Liz's um, and the work that she and Niemzi, who is the other um, uh, manager, director of Climbing Life Kenya, that's the work that they're doing is to create that. And so I think they've instilled that in their community and the people that join as their volunteers. So Marcus trained all of their volunteers. Just, I think all, they attract those people who agree with that and who resonate with that and who can develop that. Um, and yeah, Liz, fill in the blanks. Cause I'm, I, this is a shout out to you and the work that you've done um, to kind of lay that groundwork so that the vulnerability and the openness and the intense information that was so wonderful that Marcus shared, um, it had fertile ground, you know, that ground was already, already fertile before this training. Yeah. Um, just to add on to what you've said, Danny, yes, climbing has existed in Kenya for, um, for over a century plus. Um, and there's a lot of, um, developed, uh, cracks with recorded, uh, with recorded climbs and, the gap that we are filling is whereby that that space is not as accessible to local Kenyans as it as it were, unless you have a certain proximity to to the people who are already in the climbing space. So, and what we are doing as climbing like Kenya, what we have been doing is really even taking climbing to where the people are and bringing climbing closer to people, um, working on vocabulary, for example. Um, people will come for our sessions, would come to our climbing sessions and would ask, what do you call that in Kiswahili? And you're like, oh, wow. <laughs> Simple things that you would take for, for granted. And so over, over time at the crag, we would pick up what words would also come organically as people would get start you know start making reference to climbing equipment using our national language and being able to put that together and make it accessible to people so that's bringing climbing proximity closer to local kenyans it could be something as simple as organizing transport uh, for people who would love to climb but don't have you know four by four for example to take them where they need to go climbing or don't know someone who has uh, such means of transport to take them where they need to go so being able to bring climbing to where somebody is in the sense that uh, perhaps for example here in kenya i would say trad climbing is exalted um, to a certain degree and perhaps someone just wants to enjoy climbing and take photos and how do we make it possible for them to 
uh, have that passion and not let go of it just because we want them to fit in a certain box. So we create opportunities whereby we connect somebody um, somebody's passion around climbing and make climbing have more meaning to them, a more personal meaning than what we would want to define it for them. So um, we had a, an amazing student at the time who was into outdoor photography, for example, uh, some years back, he came for an, one of our sessions and we were able to connect him with opportunities where he could learn more about climbing photography because that was his passion and see him grow and see him, you know, see him grow in that space um, without necessarily telling you have to climb, you have to, to do this grade, you have to do that grade. This is what we want climbing to be for you. But to be able to recognize what climbing means for particular individuals. For some of the students, for example, we work with um, some of our volunteers are students, but we also work on programs where what does a student really care about? Uh, they care beyond just having fun. They want to be prepared for the workplace. They want to have certain skills that uh, increase their employability. And how are we able to match that with their rock climbing experience and give them something a bit more that makes sense to them, even as they enjoy this sport, uh, this, this activity that we're introducing them to, giving them an opportunity to volunteer, you know, for example, and be able to learn skills that they can then transfer in their in their life, and they have they have a personal connection to to rock climbing. So when we talk about a passion for learning, it is it comes from a place where you have experienced a certain level of giving by another individual to the point where you are inspired to want to share the same, to be the same for someone else. Um, and so it, it, it ignites um, a deeper need for you to want to learn more so that you can be more and do more for the people you're, you're, you're working with. So we have cultivated a space where people want to be the best they can be so that they, they are able to reach others um, where they are and most of our volunteers are actually people who have climbed with us before and they want to do for others what was done for them and the best way to do this is to increase your knowledge is to increase your um, your capabilities for example yeah so uh, so so in that way we we encourage and we we encourage that dust for being and knowing more. That whole ethos of passing on, you know, learning and wanting to get as much knowledge as you want and then passing that on. I mean, is that something within Kenyan society anyway? That that so people or is you know, and is that something that is possibly something that Marcus touched on and, and maybe communities I was from where I grew up, where that was a thing. And then over time, we've, we've lost it a little bit in the West. Or, or was that something that you sort of, uh, is it by chance that you just had individuals that felt like that? Uh, no, it was very intentional, I would say. 
because uh, a lot uh, information and knowledge is not uh, necessarily out there. Uh, it's not necessarily accessible. Um, mentorship opportunities are not um, necessarily, you know, out there for to pick and choose. For example, um, so uh, it's very intentional to want to pass on, to want to have this sort of knowledge management where we pre we preserve the knowledge and pass it on to others and build and build a culture of giving they say that you know people build culture uh, versus culture building people so ours is very intentional in building a culture of of giving in giving a culture of uh, in having a culture of sharing um, and in having a culture of growth uh, in and progression fantastic Marcus, what did you take back from this? Was there something that, you know, sometimes you go to, I would imagine you go to this project, and you're mm -hmm. giving a lot of yourself and your experience, but it sounds like I have a hunch that you probably took a lot of things away and, and, and maybe can apply them to other settings where you're mentoring. Yeah, I think um, I kind of would probably take away um, a kind of word that came out was uh and it was by one of the volunteers named Don. It was like a overwhelmingly empowering, which is kind of a, <laughs> kind of interesting. And that was the thing is I took away. It was a very empowering um, two weeks for myself of going to somewhere where I'm not knowing. I didn't know what was going there. So I went there with un, with no expectations. And I think that was a really important part to not have any expectations because I didn't really know what was what was going to be there. So, and then walking away and in a way having expectations met that I didn't even know I had in place that I just kind of had on my head or this is kind of what I want to walk away with. So I kind of asked myself is like, what do I want, um, you know, climbing like Kenya to have in place when I leave? And that was a way of communicating with the kids and communicating with themselves. I think that was the big thing is um, just listening because I would I have this way of, I like to use the power of the circle and get everybody together so we can all feel connected and unity and hear where everybody is. And that, that puts everybody together as a group because they all know where everybody's coming into this group. And then each throughout the day, I kind of have these constant little meetups and kind of check in. And I think that was really important because then I see, I'm still learning a lot of where they're at and then kind of can tone down what I need to teach and what I don't need to teach and what is needed to be taught right now in this moment. So it's always being, what I really learned is like learning to be a little more present in the moment with working with people is something I really took away. And the biggest thing was just not having any expectations, just this being present was one of the biggest things that I kind of had taken away from that and kind of applying it into my life now in, in a way, um, which is quite interesting. I'm kind of like wanting to change, not really pr pr perspectives, but just a way of I want to do kind of my life not now. And that's it. I want to do more teaching. I want to be more involved. I want to be doing more presentations. Um, and I know they're kind of emotionally draining for me, but also the rewards, the empowerment I get from them is outweighs the fatigue sometimes I feel. 
<laughs> so, um, and I've learned just to really take more time for myself as some stuff of walking away with that. It was just being great just to be there in a very welcoming community and, and not allowing people in my life who are not open to wanting to be present. Yeah. Thank you. Great. And of course, I guess when we're, one of the reasons we all like climbing is that it sort of forces us to be very much in the moment, doesn't it, as well? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then we, then we can easily forget to apply that in our sort of everyday life and we have all these yeah. things, expectations and goals and, you know, we can sometimes lose our way a little bit. Danny, I was going to ask a little bit about the, uh, the climbing because we haven't really touched on the climbing in Kenya. Um, I mean, I just remember as a very young man, it was the, one of the first times I traveled outside of the UK to Kenya, which was kind of mind blowing for me. Um, me and my friend from a small town in the North of England, and we went to Hell's Gate Gorge, and and yeah, it was it was the wildlife. That's what I remember. You know, there were some big animals, and I think while I was climbing, I could see that some cheeky. Uh, I can't remember if it was a baboon. I was trying to get in my rucksack, and suddenly there was way more going on than just the actual like moves of this climb, which was quite difficult. I can't remember what it was, but it maybe Hell's Gate Gorge. It, it's more than one pitch. Is it like a couple or two or three pitches? If you want, it's quite a big. It's quite a big cliff, isn't it? And I can't remember if it's crack climbing or is there everything now? Is there sports climbing? Is there a lot of different things there? Liz, what, what, what's the climbing like? At, at Hell's Gate, we have um, primarily it's trad, lots of crack climbing. Um, so I'm not very sure which uh, particular crack you're referring to. Um, That's what I remember. I think it was a big, like... A, a big crack climb that we were doing, yeah. So perhaps you are on the main wall where you can have a couple of uh, some a couple of pitches, but for the you have some uh, cliffs there, which just one pitch, single pitch, and the tower which you can do in in one pitch as well. But within Kenya, you've also got some sports climbing, because for or are, are most people starting out in trad? How does it work there? Danny. Oh, I don't know if I'm the best person to answer this question, but there is sport climbing in Lukenia um, and bouldering in Lukenia and then trad climbing in Hell's Gate. But as to where people start, I think Liz should answer that. <laughs> well, I think people have different paths of entry into rock climbing here. Um, we have some people who maybe start, depending on, on, on uh, who you know, start straight from crag uh, from the crag from uh, trad climbing um i for myself i started through sport climbing and um, it's cheaper to to get into rock climbing uh, uh using the sport climbing route um bouldering is is uh picking up but I would say in terms of how people would get into rock climbing now, uh, speaking from a local perspective, um, sport climbing is more accessible. And do you have gyms uh, in Kenya as well? Yes, um, we have indoor facilities in, uh, in Nairobi. Uh, we have uh, another in, uh, facility as well in uh, Nanyuki. Um, but Primarily, I would say the center of rock climbing would be in uh, in Nairobi. 
So we have one at, uh, at Diamond Plaza, Blue Sky Climbing, and we have a training facility as well, Climbing Life Kenya, where we're very centered on uh, on training and and uh, equipping people with outdoor skills. Right, guys, we, it, it's been absolutely brilliant to chat. I'm just wondering if what have we missed? I think the biggest piece of the puzzle that I walked away with, and I would never have used this language until Marcus kind of entered our lives, um, is that just the key component of mentorship um, and the key component of a healthy mentorship that includes emotional vulnerability um, and how important that is to the cultures of climbing we're trying to create. So at GCI, like I said, we believe that climbing is a tool to create a sustainable and equitable world. So if that's the case, what does a sustainable and equitable world need? And a piece of that is that emotional vulnerability and that mentorship and how important that is to creating people who can go out and exist in the world. So something we talk a lot about at GCI is how climbing is a microcosm of society, right, of life. So we bring all of our cultures, our experiences, our families, our prejudices, we bring that into our climbing circles. And yet, because it's such a new sport for so many people, so Kenya has a long history of climbing, but for the people that Liz is introducing to climbing, it's new. And she, because of the work that she and Niamzi have done and the challenges that they have moved through and are still moving through, they're creating a place for other people to enter and not realize that those barriers existed for Liz and Niamzi, right? And so Liz and Niamzi get to, from scratch, so to speak, begin to like piecemeal, what does this healthy, sustainable, just community look like for us? And how are we going to define that? And how are we going to develop that? And how are we going to create that? And Marcus as an instructor and a trainer and an athlete, I think represents that so well and can be such a leader for all of us in how do we engage that in that space really well with ourselves. So one of my big takeaways from Marcus isn't just how do I communicate to other people, but how do I communicate to myself when I'm climbing? Or how do I engage with my own fears or struggles or challenges? Marcus would always ask everyone throughout every day, you know, <laughs> what is the, um, you know, how are you doing with this new knowledge piece or this new skill or this new thing? And they might say, I'm scared or I'm not doing well. And Marcus is very perceptive. And so he might see that as well and kind of prompt them into that. And then he'll ask them, okay, why? Where is that coming from? What is, why are you experiencing that? And he really helps you to kind of uncover those layers of like what's challenging you and what challenges you in climbing, like you said, is what challenges us in life, right? And so we get to take those lessons from climbing back into our life. And I think by creating these communities of climbers who care about each other, can mentor each other, can communicate well with themselves and to other people, then they're going to go out back out into their families, into their workplaces with those skills, right? It doesn't stay just in the climbing world. It can then filter out throughout all these other pieces. And so we're all here because we love climbing, but I think we're also here because we want to help people to see a healthier future for themselves. Um, so I think that kind of might tie it all together a little bit. Liz, you looked like you were going to add something. <laughs> I was just nodding away, but I do agree with, uh, with Danny. I know in, in instances where, you know, we speak about rock climbing and the potential it has in impacting a community it can all sound so cliche and so overdone until you see it for yourself and how what that means to an individual what 
what creating access means to an individual. I've come to respect uh, access means different, uh, di has different meanings you know, for different people. What one may deem to be easily accessible to another may be uh, a mountain to claim that uh, might lead them to, you know, to, to, to leave the path that they had wanted to follow because for them, it seems to be insurmountable. So I've come to really appreciate being aware of myself, being aware of what we are doing as well as claiming, uh, as claiming like Kenya and appreciating the individuals who we are working with and really respecting their limitations and not necessarily taking them for granted because we don't think they are limitations for ourselves. So what markers and uh, GCI um, brought to the table for us was really more than just the training and the, 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 the opening of the mind as we have discussed. But it, it creates an element of possibility. It shows uh, people who maybe did not take part in the training but have seen that there is possibility of knowledge, there is possibility for growth, and there is possibility of giving, there is possibility of giving back to, to climbing, to, to growing it. Because what may seem little to one person really is a lot to another. So what I, uh, what I took as well personally from interacting with Marcus was the appreciation of, as I said earlier, the, the humanity aspect that goes around everything that we do. And that made it very possible for someone like Marcus, who we had never interacted with, to come and simply plug in and seem like he has been living in Kenya his whole life, his whole life because he had that space that allowed him to be himself and allowed him to share his expertise and his knowledge unhindered by what we may sit and talk about as barriers of culture, barriers of economic status, barriers of um, nationality. Being that, yes, it's possible to step back and allow that space to exist and really respect each other and see what can come out of it, as did with this training that we had with GCI and Marcus. Marcus, I don't know if you've got anything to add. Um, I know we've, you've, you've, you've shared quite a lot. Any parting shot? Yeah, I mean, it's just very empowering just to even hear these kind of words and perspectives after, you know, it's been a couple of months and allowing things to digest that, there is still what we set out to do um, with GCI and climbing like Kenya. And it's just, it's a evolving circle of con continuing mentorship. And that's kind of what we, what I had envisioned, whether it was an expectant, but it's exceeding my expectations. And I feel um, very grateful that I had this opportunity to be able to work with such an amazing uh, group of people. Um, you know, and not just so much the technical skills, but from an emotional standpoint and a humanity standpoint, was just listening to people on an individual level and seeing where they were and able to meet them 
at where they were and where they want to be uh, was just so empowering. And, you know, not just so much the technical skills, but sometimes just the emotional component of just holding that space. You know, one of the things that was really empowering, it was just helping them find their voice in what's possible for themselves was something that was just, that still blows my mind. Well, thanks everybody for sharing your uh, personal stories. Very powerful. And uh, I, I hope the great work continues. And uh, yeah, thanks for being so open and, and uh, talking in such depth about a like, absolutely fantastic uh, project. Yeah, absolutely. And if anyone wants to go climb with a really fun, welcoming group of people, go to Nairobi. Climb with yeah. Liz and her team. They're awesome. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've been your host, Andy Cave, and you've been listening to the Rab Mountain People podcast. To keep up to date and to hear more interviews like this, don't forget to subscribe. I look forward to bringing you more stories and interviews very soon. Stay tuned.